The Gist is brought to you by Harry's, the shaving company that offers German-engineered blades, well-designed handles, and shipping right to your door. Visit harrys.com for $5 off your first purchase with the promo code GIST. And by Sherry's Berries. Fresh berries dipped in chocolate starting at just $19.99 are a great holiday gift. Order now and use the promo code GIST to double your berries for just $10 more. That's B-E-R-R-I-E-S dot com. Click on the microphone in the top right corner and use the code GIST. The following podcast contains explicit language. It's Tuesday, December 22nd, 2015 from Slate. It's the gist. I'm Mike Pesca. I'm on another podcast called Podcast for America. Not that this, the gist, is against America. I'm very much in favor of America. But that podcast put out by the Panoply Network, it's posted now. You can go find that. And at the end... I started telling a little story about listening to the Sunday shows in a car that I rented. So I'm going to tell you that here today. So I usually just listen to them in my head. I don't have a car. I rent a car. Crazy, weird, crazy New Yorker, not one of us, does not do well on the thinks like people like us metric. I get this. Also, I listen to all the Sunday shows, and I usually listen at time and a half or double speed. My eight-year-old son was in the car, and he noticed some things about the Sunday shows. Like when I put on the second one, he was like, Dad, this is the same exact stuff that they talked about on the first one. Good call. What have you learned? And so then he was like, why are they talking so fast? I'm like, actually, I have it sped up a little. Here, let me put it on regular speed. Now, to get to regular speed on my iPhone, I clicked past half speed, and then I clicked to regular speed. But when it was on half speed for a second, oh, was he delighted. Was he delighted by what these supposedly learned men sounded like on half speed? And as we played the half speed candidates, we found that they all had different characteristics, and I think they got to their character. So here I will play a little Donald Trump on half speed. She couldn't even get back on the stage. Nobody even knows what happened to her. It's like she went home and went to Why do you keep going on this? She couldn't even get back on the stage last night. Chuck Todd, Trump, talking together to drunk dudes at a bar, just chewing the fat over some crazy ideas. Now, over on this week, Bernie Sanders was there. Here's Bernie Sanders on half speed. The United States today is the only major country on earth that doesn't have paid family and medical leave. It's an absolute disgrace. A working class woman has a baby. She may have to go back to work in a week or two because she doesn't have the income. That is a sad, sad man. Bernie Sanders, very sad, very sad about what a single mom has to go through in America. Once I dealt with sad and once I dealt with drunk, how much else was there? Well, I played Chris Christie. Mrs. Clinton is Mrs. Happy Talk. Um, And she just wants to happy talk her way to the presidency. And that guy just sounds full. He sounds satiated. He's possibly experiencing indigestion. He seems he seems to have a little agita, as we Italians, he's Italian, you know, as we Italians say, big, maybe big Christmas dinner or, you know, December 22nd pre-Christmas dinner. But then I was wondering, what does Ben Carson sound like on Half Speed? Because, you know, the book on Ben Carson is he's already such a slow talker. Well, I found out. You play Ben Carson on half speed, and you go back in time. Here, listen to what I mean. You know, state-of-the-art weapon was, what, a musket? 
That was a contemporary reference to Ben Carson on Half Speed. On the show today, I spiel about how we're all a bunch of stinking political hypocrites. But first, it is time for gift giving. So we're handing out statuettes for the best data stories of the year. Yes, data. Get pumped, get excited, get psyched. Data. I am your data. I can scarcely handle the excitement. Perhaps exponents will be referenced. Shaving is quite expensive. Having a beard, though, has its costs. Like, people question you if you're the Speaker of the House. They say you're in it for all the wrong reasons if you're the Speaker of the House. Others say it's okay for the Speaker of the House to have a beard. Anyway, that's Paul Ryan's problem. I want to talk about me and you and whiskers. Shaving just seems like it costs too much. I never really had the ability to do the cost-benefit analysis. But there I was, I was going throughout my life just kind of thinking that shaving was a huge ripoff. And then there was a revolution in shaving. And at the forefront of this was Harry's. So Harry's was started by two guys who are passionate about a better shaving experience. They buy this factory in Germany and they start making these razors and these razor blades that are really, really good, quite sharp and resilient, and yet cost a fraction of what the big guys in the stores cost. Their starter set is $15. It includes a razor, three blades, and your choice of the shave cream or the foaming shave gel. As an added bonus, you could get $5 off your first purchase by using the code GIST. I'm giving you a month's worth of shaving for 10 bucks if you're a new customer and shipping is always free. So go to harrys.com now and Harry's will give you $5 off if you type in my code GIST with your first purchase. That's H-A-R-R-Y-S.com and enter coupon code GIST at checkout for $5 off the starter set and start shaving smarter today. So awards season means the Oscars, Golden Globes, of course, there are the Grammys, there are the Tonys. But what about data? There's no award for data. And I think I know why. Because data is the plural. So they can't be the data ease. They could be the data me's. Why don't they just be the datas? Also, there's no award for data until now. The podcast, What's the Point, hosted by Jody Avergan, who's a guy I've known for like 20 years, still don't know how to pronounce the last name, is an excellent podcast about data. It's by those uh, brilliant nerds at 538, and they've come out with awards, awards for data. Jody's here. Hello, Jody. Hi, Mike. Uh, what is your last name, by the way? Avergan. Avergan. And it's like eight years, but it feels like 20. <laughs> yeah. Okay, so I think if we said, all right, what are the big things that happen in data? People would say, you know, the big things that the layman was exposed to, something like the Ashley Madison hack or that Sony Pictures hack. We are, are still... awarding okay. awards to both of us, but Good. where do you want to start? What's the Sony hack? What what award can you well, give? We are giving an award to usually you announce the category first and then the award to okay. build suspense, Mike. But yes. uh, we have awarded Sony Pictures the data hack most straight out of a Hollywood movie. That's our category. Sony Pictures wins. Now, you will remember that the Sony Pictures hack happened at the end of 2014 because we were all taking like this free speech stance by going to see a terrible Seth Rogen movie yeah, last except December. Except I saw the returns on that movie and we all didn't take <laughs> Did that not. stance. Yeah. We, but on Twitter, we certainly did. Yes. But nevertheless, that hack technically happened at the end of 2014. We are awarding it a 2015 award because there were actually like really interesting ripple effects from the information that came out in that that 
sort of percolated throughout 2015. Uh, one of, I think, the most interesting was that th- we learned through the emails that were released in that hack about the gender disparity in Hollywood and the pay gap. So we learned that Jennifer Lawrence, for instance, was earning less money than her male co-stars in American Hustle. Do you think Jennifer Lawrence learned that through the hack? I think she did. I think it was actually she wrote an essay that kind of said, I, I learned about this this way. And I mean, if any star should be earning like full market rate, if somehow in your head you're telling yourself that Jennifer Lawrence doesn't earn you money, I don't know you know, what that says. Right. If she's not earning Jeremy Renner m- money. And hey, who doesn't love Hawkeye? The thing about hacks are they never really make you feel all good about yourself. And that definitely was the case with the Ashley Madison hack. Maybe they taught us some things, but they also make you feel kind of skeevy. Not just the fact that the guys on Ashley Madison were trying to cheat on their significant others. No judgment. I'm going to judge. Just the whole way that they did it and what they taught us about how fragile, uh, not to trust corporations to say that they're keeping your stuff secret and how fragile this all is. It couldn't make us feel that good about ourselves. Right, so the Ashley Madison hack gets the award for data set that keeps on giving. Mm-hmm. We just kind of kept finding out interesting tidbits from this uh, this data set, this hack. You know, But the origin story of that hack, I think, is really interesting because it it was anonymous that takes credit for it. I, I don't think we know for sure, for sure that it was them. But their stated reason for doing it was Ashley Madison was doing this kind of awful thing, which was men who had signed up, mostly men who had signed up to use their site to cheat on their spouses, which is what that site was about. If they wanted to then leave the site, Ashley Madison would send them an email and say, we have your data, we have your information. And in order for us to have us scrub your information, you need to pay us a certain amount. They were basically holding the data as you know hostage. And Anonymous claimed that in retribution for that kind of awful practice, they were going to release all the users' data, which just seems like twisted logic as a way to kind of pay back this corporation for doing this awful thing. But they're just hackers. punish all these people. Hackers, hackers got to hack. hack. Yeah, yeah, it's true. Yeah. Always be hacking. You name a couple heroes of data. Who's your defender of data? So this award, the Defender of Data for Elected Official, (laughs) goes to, we had to go to Canada to find the winner of this award. And that is for Justin Trudeau, the new prime minister of Canada, who actually took a really laudable data-related stance, basically in his campaign and then right when he was elected as the new liberal prime minister. Canada, a few years ago, got rid of the mandatory long-form census. You guys, I'm, I'm we are all the about point? The you love the we mandatory long-form census. Yeah, and let me tell you. The, nothing like a Canadian long-form census. The, the listener Every metrics are... It just makes the ears <laughs> smile. The, the sponsors who yeah. want to get in on that one. Oh, Squarespace, yeah. <laughs> they're sending me Casper mattresses. It's crazy. <laughs> Everyone wants to talk about the long-form census. But look, the, 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 the you long... You just say that for ratings. <laughs> so sexy. But the census is actually... I don't need to convince you of this of this mic. The census is actually very, very important. And the fact that Canada switched from a mandatory census to a voluntary census, and that dropped the number of people who were responding from in the 90s to in the 70s, really had of when you do that, it has this like really big ripple effects. I mean, the census is used to determine public services. It's used for infrastructure planning. It's used by the private sector to determine where they're going to put new stores and so forth. So Canada got rid of its long form census under the previous prime minister and Trudeau, both as a sort of campaign promise and then pretty soon after he took office, 
restored it. And I think at 538, we tend to, you know, be fairly dispassionate, but like in terms of just like data should be open and da- and, and data is important and governments, we need to know kind of what about our population. I feel like we can take a stance here. And, you know, so often on this show, I decry the fact that we just don't know things that we should be able to know. In the wake of Ferguson, all these statistics, well, how many police killings were justified? We don't know. What percentage were whites killing blacks? We don't know. How many civilians unarmed were killed? We don't. How do we not know that which leads us to another award. It's true. We did give an award this year for data that the government should be collecting but isn't. And we use this as a way to highlight some of the amateur or media efforts to fill in some of those gaps you were just talking about. Of the many, many, many lessons and conversations that started in the wake of Ferguson, there was absolutely kind of a data question at the heart of it, which is we just don't know. And unfortunately, a lot of the efforts to gather that data were being done by places like The Guardian or The Washington Post and then even like amateurs. Yeah, there are all these websites and they're great, but it's crazy that on the show I I quoted something about mass shootings. Like, where are those statistics from? It's from MassShootings.com. And they're good at it, but they just comb through. And they rely on media reports. So it's this this whole ecosystem that's really fragile. We cited, there's this site MappingPoliceViolence.org, which does that as well. And the guy who runs it, I mean, you're right. He has to go into like media reports. One of the ways that he verifies identities, he goes on like social media. So he sees a media report that says someone with this name got shot. But in order to verify who exactly that was, he'll sometimes track him down on on Facebook and then see that there were like their posts stopped at a certain date or that people posting tribute posts to them. And that's how he verifies it. So it's just this like work that's being done at the amateur or media level that should be done by the government. But there is a, a coda to this, which is actually just last week, uh, the FBI announced that they are going to start to kind of up the standards on this. And I think this is kind of one of the laudable sort of developments coming out of all of this is that there was a big push to gather this data. The Obama administration set up a task force, and now the FBI really seems to be embracing it. And you know, we'll see if the standards are in place and if data sets can get shared in a good way, but it looks like there's progress being made. And I would submit if that's the negative side, that's where the lack of data hurts us, maybe the Volkswagen story is the story where actually figuring out the data helped the most people. We awarded the most insidious manipulation of data to Volkswagen who were doing this thing where they <laughs> they installed a, a defeat device in yep. their cars, which I don't know if that was the internal name or not, <laughs> but they basically installed a patch on their engines that would, when the car was being tested, it would regulate the emissions of that car so that it would it would pass pass EPA tests. And then when it was back on the road, the defeat device would turn off, and the car would spew out, by some reports, up to forty times the legal amount of you know toxics into the air. Yeah. So, but if this, if they were the villain, and they are, there's a hero here too, and those are the people who uncovered it. Sure, but. I don't know, Mike. <laughs> do we really? I do we, is that the, is that is that the only way to get large corporations to act ethically? Well, That's no, a but rhetorical I, question. But I want to give an award to the California Air Resources Board. They're the ones who say, you know, when we test the Volkswagens ourselves, we find that they're pretty dirty. I agree. I think the fact that people are willing to question this stuff is is nice, and so there is a silver lining to most of these awards. Always questioning. Every week on the What's the Point podcast and the man behind the Data Awards, Jody Avergan. Thank you, Jody. Thank you, Mike. Sherry, Sherry Berry. All right, a couple misleading things there. One, 
I think a good marketer will say you don't want to appall your audience with the first notes of an ad by being a terrible singer. So I've made that mistake. And two, it's not Sherry's Berries. I always thought it was Sherry's Berries, but it's Sherry's Berries. And people have instructed me, well, that's only because you're from the Northeast and everyone else pronounces Sherry's as if it rhymes with berries. Makes no sense to me. One has an A, one has an E. Let's not dwell on this. Let's dwell on freshly dipped strawberries. The fact that they start at 1999, which is a 40% savings, will get you into them. They got the uh, dark and white and milk chocolatey deliciousness with some chocolate chips, some chopped nuts. They're really fresh. They're succulent. Can I say succulent? Is that it, it's almost verging on the word moist, which causes a reaction in a lot of listeners. Again, this is the third thing I've done wrong in the ad. I've used the word moist. Fourth thing, done it twice. So let me tell you, back to the berries. Always, I can always be rescued by the berries in these ads because I can tell you that you could double the berries for just $10 more. So to get this deal on moist berries, go to berries.com and use the special code GIST. Visit B-E-R-R-I-E-S dot com. It's $19.99 to start. I told you about doubling the berries for $10 more. You click on the microphone at the top right-hand corner and you type in gist. Berries.com, click on the microphone and type in gist. Order today. And now the spiel, citizen fact check thyself. So there is a trend I noticed. It's an out that we give ourselves in political argument and rhetoric, but we even do it inside our own minds if we want to be honest with ourselves. It's so easy these days, given the abundance of information about every candidate's position, given the ubiquity of charges and counter charges, kind of everyone knows who's paying attention, what everyone is saying. And therefore, it's pretty easy, it's pretty tempting to not honestly account for when we're being honest, when we're personally being honest, or when we are being honest by proxy, when we stick up for a candidate or any political statement and we say, well, that's right, even when we know it's wrong. And it drives us crazy in other people, doesn't it? Right? We say, how can Trump supporters not know that he's lying? A thousand people cheering on New Jersey rooftops, Eisenhower deporting one and a half million Mexicans, the real unemployment rate being 42%, so many Civil War soldiers dying on this spot on my golf course. How can anyone believe the guy? And there are explanations. We probably read the stories with the explanations. Well, you know, he speaks to people's anxiety or when you confirm someone's pre-existing beliefs, they'll go with you or, you know, he engages in a conflation of the factual and the unsubstantiated. (sighs) That's when it happens with the other guy. So what do we do when it happens with our own person? When it happens in the opposite direction, do we say, well, you know what? That's a lie. Let's take a recent example. Here is Hillary Rodham Clinton in the last Democratic debate. And we also need to make sure that the really discriminatory messages that Trump is sending around the world don't fall on receptive ears. He is becoming ISIS's best recruiter. They are going to people showing videos of Donald Trump insulting Islam and Muslims in order to recruit more radical And here's what Donald Trump said about that charge. It's nonsense. It's just another Hillary lie. She lies like crazy about everything, whether it's trips where she was being gunned down in a helicopter or an airplane. Uh, She's a liar. And everybody knows that. You probably heard this story. What was your reaction? Did you say, you know, Hillary is right in spirit. Did you say, all right, look, there might not be a specific video, but in general, the point is valid. Did you say maybe, oh, oh, talking about fact checking, that's pretty rich coming from Donald Trump. 
all of those explanations certainly have validity. They're also exercises in self-deception because, sorry to say, Hillary Clinton's words that there are video of Donald Trump being used as recruiting tools for ISIS, it is just not true. It's as true as thousands of Muslims celebrating in New Jersey. You can say there's a kernel of truth or you could say they're getting at the right point or you could say, well, you know, maybe not every single word is perfectly literally true, but it's true in spirit. But that is what you call, if you want to be harsh, that is what you call a lie. And you could also say, you know, is it fair, Mike, that you're talking about this like it's the biggest story from that debate? You could also say, doesn't harping on that one Hillary Clinton sentence simply reinforce the Republican talking points? And I would say, those are great things to say if you're also trying to find ways to be less than truly honest with yourself. Trump is correct. What she said is a lie. We give ourselves so many outs, so many excuses. We never have to look at or confront our own honesty or the validity of assertions we believe in. Our own camps congratulate ourselves for advancing the cause, not for being correct. Now, you'll hear the president, you'll hear every president say, Senate, give me an up and down vote. It's only right. Oh, but when their party loses control of the Senate, there goes the call for the straight up and down vote. Conservatives look at things like abortion access, voter ID rights, and they say states' rights. The states need to make these calls. Hey, but here's a couple issues. Passing tighter gun laws, marijuana legalization. Where's your states' rights argument now? Then it's all law of the land. Here's Eric Holder in 2012 speaking to the NAACP. Let me be very clear. We will not allow political pretexts to disenfranchise American citizens of their most precious right. So... With that statement, Bob Barr, former Republican congressman from Georgia, wrote on Town Hall, quote, the fact that this president and his attorney general remain deaf, dumb, and indifferent to the blatantly discriminatory anti-Second Amendment actions by liberal state and local governments, even as they rail against voter ID laws enacted by local governments, is testimony to the constitutional hypocrisy that is at the very core of this presidency. Yes, constitutional hypocrisy, presidential overreach. It's a great argument to use against George W. Bush. Remember when he was pursuing his extrajudicial policies, extraordinary rendition? That was bad because we shouldn't have an imperial presidency. But when Barack Obama does it with the Deferred Action for Childhood Arrivals Act, that's called leadership. Hypocrisy abounds in politics. I'm not just talking about hypocrisy. I'm talking about the fact that we recognize that there is hypocrisy or a potential for hypocrisy. It short circuits what should be our natural process of saying, wait a minute, is this the right thing? Wait a minute, does this adhere to my ideals? Every time, if you were one of these people who were bothered by George Bush expanding the definition of the powers of the president, did you have a second of that when you heard that Barack Obama did what he did with immigrants, did what he did with gun laws? Or instead of questioning yourself, do you immediately just say, I can't believe the other guys are questioning me. They're being hypocrites because their guy did it. That's true. Their guy did do it. But we jump to that charge of hypocrisy and we don't even engage in the charge of, wait, what are our own ideals? A lot of the things I've been talking about, things like it's wrong to filibuster to thwart democracy or it's wrong to rule by executive order or something like it's wrong to gerrymander your guys into office. A lot of those are about process. And I don't think process actually drives our political convictions. I think process is mostly used 
as an argument, right? To be a politician, you got to fundraise, you got to put your family through hell, you got to invite scrutiny. Who does that because they're really into process, right? Who goes through that? Not because they want a policy enacted, but because they just love cloture votes. I think it's very rare. So a lot of our arguments that dwell on process open themselves up to charges of hypocrisy. But I'm focusing on the individual level. There are so few examples of people who engage in political dialogue. I'm not talking about elected politicians. I'm not talking about their surrogates. I'm just talking about halfway engaged citizens who actually evaluate their own claims, their own principles, the claims that politicians who they agree with make and say, wait a minute, that violates this thing I've been saying for 15 years, right? You always have the yeah buts. Yeah, but their side is worse. Yeah, but when you guys control the Senate. Yeah, but look who's talking. Great, you've just made an argument about the other guy's hypocrisy. What about the fundamental issue? I do not expect when a campaign surrogate like Hillary Clinton's surrogates and advisors were asked on the Sunday shows, hey, do you stand by it? I don't expect this, the campaigns to walk it back. There's so much evidence that you just double down on every lie and it never hurts you. In fact, Donald Trump shows that it really helps you in the polls. I'm not talking about the professionals. I'm talking about us, all of us, how we fall into this trap, this yeah, but trap. I just haven't heard too many people talking about the Hillary statement, people who support Hillary saying what I think they should say, which is, yes, Hillary got it wrong. You know, it's immediately, Hillary got it wrong, but you know, her overall point is right. Or Hillary got it wrong, but Donald Trump is a lot worse. Or Hillary got it wrong, but even so, I think her ideas are spot on. If we just say Hillary lied and it's wrong to lie about that, then I think we'd all be in a little bit better place. I think certainly the people saying that would have a little bit higher ground. And I think that us as citizens, as non-political operatives, will be better off for admitting it to other people, to ourselves, for our own sake. America, I rate you pants on fire. You need to find a hose. That's it for today's show. Andrea Salenzi's favorite data set is her longitudinal studies of things Mabel has eaten and if they're alive, if they're dead, or if they were alive before Mabel got to them. Executive producer Andy Bauer's favorite data set is the list of Panoply employees and all the names of members of their family, though I think that might have been hacked because he thinks I just mentioned that Andrea Salenzi's grandmother nuzzles dead things in the park. The Gist. You can email us at thegist at slate.com. You can sign up for our newsletter at slate.com slash gist email. The Gist, we have run a regression analysis on the last 145 Christmases, and it would seem that if the weather is in the high 60s, you either live in Tucson or it's not Christmas. Um, Peru, de Peru, du Peru, and thanks for listening. <laughs>